Welcome family, friends, and new friends to our podcast, They Actually Survived. I'm your host, Selena. And I'm your co-host, Andy. So today, we're going to have a couple of stories that involve the open seas. And Andy and I were talking about this earlier, and Andy thinks it's a very dangerous open seas, or the ocean in general, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a little concerned that... Uh we're bringing a lot of stories that happen out in the ocean, but I have to remind myself, the ocean is a freaking huge place, and it's not exactly the safest of places, so this is this is probably normal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So today, I'm super excited about this story. This is, has been on our social media since I started, pictures of the Concordia, so this is a really mm. big one, and it was a cruise ship that went down. So this is going to be an exciting story for me. I, I like this one. Mm-hmm. But talk about a tale of survival for so many people on board. So, And then what is your story about today? My story is about Harrison O'Kenny, the cook on board a tugboat that um, ends up capsizing and he gets trapped underwater, which I understand is, is a huge fear for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. This is going to be a fun one. I like this. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, why don't you go today? Sure. Uh, so, like I said, this is the story of Harrison O'Kenny, and it happened uh, May 26, 2013. He was on board this tugboat called the Jaskin 4. The Jaskin 4 was a tugboat with a 12-person crew. On May 26, 2013, Jaskin 4 was one of three tugboats assigned to tow an oil tanker off the coast of Nigeria. Being the cook, Harrison O'Kenny, age 29, wakes up early to prepare breakfast for the crew. This region is known to be a frequent hunting ground for pirates. So when the boat suddenly upends, the crew, being fresh from the academy, locks themselves in their rooms in case they were being boarded, which was standard protocol. Meanwhile, Harrison was on the latrine, and the upending of the boat tosses him around, keeping him from getting to his room. Quote, it was around 5 a.m. and I was on the toilet when the vessel just started going down. The speed was so, so fast, end quote. When Harrison was finally able to exit the latrine, he searches for a way out of the boat. It was already about 30 meters below the surface of the water. Oh my god! That's how fast it was going down. No pirates, by the way. It just started going down. As he searches the ship, He finds a life vest, some tools, and a pair of flashlights before the boat's power fails, and he was underwater and in the dark. Fortunately, Harrison was very familiar with the ship and uses his familiarity to feel his way around towards the main cabin. Being trapped in a capsized ship, there was a chance he could find a large enough air bubble where he could wait until rescue arrives. He savages a pair of mattresses to make a platform so that he might keep himself out of the water. Yeah, because I'm sure it's probably cold. Mm -hmm. Deep, dark, underwater. (laughs) By the time he finishes, his platform was able to keep his head and chest above the water in an air bubble that had formed as the Jaskin 4 settled on the bottom of the sea. How far down is this? Just shy of 100 feet below the surface. Jeez, man. (laughs) His boat is 100 feet underwater on the bottom of the floor, and he's standing on a mattress keeping his head and chest out of the water in an air bubble. Now, 
here goes the question. Mm-hmm. Would you wait? Last, you know, episode we talked about mm-hmm. we mostly would wait for help. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. like, would you try to swim up? I don't know. Like, I feel like if I were considering swimming up, I'd want to know how deep I am underwater. And yeah. I'm not sure you would know that. I'm not sure Harrison knew that. Yeah. He was on a toilet being tossed around. He notices that the boat is sinking. He's trying to get to some kind of safety. The boat is obviously upside down, and then he loses power. He, he, I, I, I can't imagine this guy knows how deep he is underwater and yeah. he can swim that distance. Yeah, that's For all, that's for so all we know, scary. he might not even be able to swim. Yeah, that's true. There are people on boats who don't know how to swim. I don't know how that's possible, but <laughs> I don't know why you as an adult, you're like, I'll go on a boat and you don't know how to swim. But yeah, there is that too. So oh. I, 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 you know, going back to that though, I think I would wait. I think I would still wait for help. I'd be too scared to, yeah, just like you said, I don't know how long I could hold my breath. And then what, mm-hmm. if you're halfway and then you don't know if you're halfway because it's still mm-hmm. dark, probably. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Jesus, that's scary. Yeah, I, I, I totally understand why people are scared of this. I'm not saying I'm not scared of it. It's just I've never wanted to put myself mentally in that kind of position. Yeah. But here we have a guy going through exactly that. So stuck underwater with an undetermined amount of air, he figures his crewmates had either escaped or died at this point. Harrison could hear the surrounding fish nipping and eating at something as he ponders over whether he should try to leave the vessel or stay in place. His flashlights wouldn't last a day, and all he had to hide him over was a bottle of Coca-Cola. He was trapped, wearing not much more than the boxer shorts he had slept in as the seawater siphoned away his body heat. Hypothermia was as valid a threat to him as everything else surrounding him now. Being able to keep his head and chest above water would buy him time. Harrison waits and recites Bible verses to himself, promising the gods that if he survives, he would swear off the ocean forever. After Why six... swear off the ocean? Just because I mean, of what it did to him? I, you never, I mean, like, yeah. in, in a similar story, like, my parents were, um, were in a, a, boat (laughs) trying to get to america not like a ship you know this was like a private vessel fishing boat thing that they had tried and the the, there was a story from my mom where the waters were so uh, wavy choppy choppy she wasn't sure that the boat would even like make it to america she made a promise to one of the gods that worships that if we make it to america i will never eat beef again she didn't hold up that promise. Yeah. She eats beef all the time, but, <laughs> but I, I don't know. I mean, maybe when you're in that desperation, uh, you're so desperate, you know, you're willing to make a deal with with some kind of yeah. security being like, I'll give up anything, everything, my favorite toy, my beloved child, whatever, <laughs> my most prized <laughs> possession. I will give it up forever if you just help me get through this. Yeah, that's scary to be in that situation. After 60 hours, he hears a ship's engine passing overhead, followed by the ship anchoring. Then he hears divers banging on the ship, trying to figure their way in. Harrison... (gasps) 
How exciting! Yeah, Sixty hours and you hear banging on your ship. Like someone knows I'm here. Yeah. Thank God. Yeah. This thank is safety. God. This is rescue. But you know what's weird though is no mayday went out. So it's like, how did they know where to find them? Just based on their last GPS coordinates, that could be, maybe. Because my, uh, my understanding is ships are all supposed to have their GPS like radio all on all, all the time. time. It's it's illegal to yeah. turn it off. Not saying that nobody does it. There's a lot of illegal activity that starts with the ship turning off their coordinate tracker thing. You know? So it, it's very possible. I mean, they weren't doing anything illegal that we know of. They were on their way to their job, working their job, and the waves just knocked their boat over, uh, flipped it upside down. So that's probably... that's You're, you're probably right, Selene. They probably realized that this is where the boat stopped here. Yeah. Harrison grabs a nearby hammer and begins to bang back to draw their attention. Harrison sees the lights of a diver come into his room and sweep the place before leaving. The diving team wasn't here looking for survivors. They were here to recover bodies. Harrison leaves his platform to swim after the diver who misses him, but by the time he makes it to the doorway, the diver is already out of sight around the next corner. Harrison has to decide whether he should leave the air pocket and swim out looking for a diver who could be his last chance for salvation or return to his air pocket and hope the diver comes back. Oh man, that is so scary to have to make it's that decision. one after another. <laughs> yeah. Harrison returns to the air pocket and waits. And waits until the diver returns to his room. The diver's back was to Harrison, so he reaches out and taps the back of their neck. This startles the diver, who turns towards Harrison's direction. The diver sees Harrison's hand and realizes it was just a cadaver, just a body floating in the water. As the diver reaches out to grab Harrison's hand, Harrison grabs back, startling the diver again. <laughs> Surface team, who was watching everything through a live feed on the diver's suit. The recovery team is amazed to find a survivor still on board the vessel and provides him with drinking water and a mask. With how long Harrison has been underwater, the surface team knows there was a possibility that the nitrogen levels in his blood could kill him if he surfaces too quickly. He has to spend some time in a decompression chamber. Once back, After he comes back up? Right. Okay. Right, right, right. Once back on the surface, Harrison would feel guilty about being the only survivor from the Jaspin 4, going so far as to avoid attending the funerals of his crewmates. He would oh. scream in his sleep that the bed was sinking in the water. Harrison now cooks only on land, upholding the promise he made to God. He survives, but not without mental scars. Of course, yeah. I think that would definitely scar me, and I don't think I would be out on a boat. Mm -hmm. And yeah. for, for anyone interested, there is video footage of this diver the moment that he finds Harrison. Uh, and I, I've watched it a handful of times. This is actually one of the stories that was in my mind when Selena and I sat down to talk about the idea for this podcast. And uh, so I'm really excited to finally get to, to cover this one. But in that video footage, uh, this diver is talking back and forth to his handler up on the surface, um, on the surface team. And he's just kind of being coached through it. Like, yeah, you know, take your time, go steady through it, you know, just look, look for any signs of 
where people might be. And you see this hand kind of just flow into his view and you hear him like, huh, you know, <laughs> react to it. And, and, and the handler was like, what is it? What is it? And he's like, oh, it's a hand. And it's like, oh yeah, you know, that's, he tells him like, that's going to happen. Remember, we're looking for bodies. Stuff like this is totally going to happen where a body part is just going to find itself into your face. That's good. You want that. And so that's the moment where he reaches out and touches the hand and the hand grabs him back and, and he, and you, ah, it happens again. And you hear the hand like, he's alive. He's alive. You know, and like the frogman coming out of the, the, the water up to the surface, there's this guy huddled in the dark and, and there's this really brief conversation like, ask him who he is. Uh, who are you? Uh, I'm Harrison. His name is Harrison. Who who are you on the boat? I'm the cook, sir. He's the cook. He's the cook. Oh, this is incredible. Oh my God. How exciting that must have been for, you know, because obviously you got to get yourself in that, in that, when you're a dive team, you got to get yourself ready to, they're recovering bodies. bodies. Yeah, exactly. But to be able to find that like one guy just sitting there, like that would scare the living crap out of me, but dang, I would be so excited, you know, to like bring him yeah. back up, you know. And just to kind yeah. of recap on that, this is sixty hours after the boat sank. That's almost three days underwater. That's in the days, dark, yeah, days and, and days and days. On his chest above, drinking a Coca Cola. <laughs> Not that this <laughs> this podcast sponsored by Coca Cola. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and he's no. hearing like a fish <laughs> nipping and biting at stuff that he can only presume. Yeah, that's so cleaner. scary. Yeah, exactly. God, man, it just, can you imagine just like the elation mm. that you would feel on like the adrenaline going through your body is like, oh my God, there's people here. Oh my God, they're mm. banging on like the boat. They're here. I'm rescued. Uh, and then to kind of like jump on that, the multiple points where he has to decide like, oh, shoot, did I miss my chance? I mean, point yeah. number one, do I try to swim out or do I stay? I'm going to choose to stay because that, you know, whatever he probably thought that was a smarter move. It works out for him. We know that now. Uh, he sees the light of the diver come into his room and passes him and leaves the room. And he thinks, I have to catch that person's attention. And he goes out after them. But he's too late. The guy, the diver is around the next corner. So he's thinking, do I swim after them or do I go back into the hole? What if they don't come back to look for me? He decides to stay in his air bubble. And, you know, he's lucky. He's rewarded there when the diver comes back again. And he's like, I'm not missing this chance. I'm, I'm yeah, tapping that yeah, guy. Yeah, jump on the guy. <laughs> yeah. I, I would have tackled him if it was me, you know? I would have been jumping on him like a little spider monkey <laughs> and not letting go, you know? Did he have any uh, medical problems left over from um, it? Or? Just, just the mental scars. Yeah. From what I recall, his, his wife was the one that was reporting the instances of him having night terror, screaming that the bed is sinking. Yeah. Um, he feels so much guilt uh, over over his crewmates. He's got this. He's got that survivor's guilt where he's like, why did I survive? Yeah. You know, I'm worried that uh, yeah. the families of my former crewmates blame me for surviving. And I can't look them oh, in the eye. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah, th- this is, yeah. It- it's amazing that he survives this, but I'm, I'm sorry to report that this isn't a happy ending. You know, he-, he didn't bounce back from this mentally. Uh, not-, not, that it's- yeah. not that it's his fault or anything like that. It's just... No. You would almost have to be a psychopath to bounce back from something so Probably. fast, you know? <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, you know, literally a psychopath, but uh, to have no empathy for the others, you know, that's completely understandable that he didn't go to their funerals. Mm -hmm. He was battling, in a sense, with his Mm -hmm. own demons. And that's where definitely counseling and therapy really does go a Mm -hmm. long way with these kind of instances. Like as a survivor, you almost have to jump into that because it's like you do have that crazy survivor's guilt, you know, and it could eat away at you. And to kind of bring up one last point, this guy was the cook. He wasn't the captain. He wasn't, you know, one of the members that trimmed the sail. I don't think it was a sail on a tugboat. But but I mean, he he's not involved in the <laughs> daily maintenance of the ship yeah. itself. He's there to cook and provide food. Yeah, so he may very well not known how the even ship right. operated. Yeah, or how far down, like we mm-hmm. were talking about, he didn't know how mm-hmm. far down mm-hmm. he would... Now, what would you do in that situation? Would you would you stay there or would you try to swim up? Let's pretend that I also know the layout of this ship in the dark. I probably wouldn't swim out. I, I don't think I would. I, I think it'd be too scary, too much, too, Risky. too yeah, too much, too risk, too many unknowns out there. What what happens after I get out of the boat? Do I still know which way I should be swimming? Do I just let myself try to float up to the top and get some kind of sense of direction? Well, I know to swim what direction is up. <laughs> I don't know I would. You're right. You're right. They often say when pilots mm-hmm. go down and planes go down, sometimes the pilots get confused mm-hmm. over the horizon and pull mm-hmm. down instead of up and and make it worse. You're exactly right. I mean, once you get out into the open, dark water without a flashlight, which way are you going? Even when you pop up on the surface. I mean, you're in the middle yeah. you, middle of the vast ocean. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which way do you yeah. swim? Right? I mean, there's no land necessarily. He might have been in the middle to not see any land. That's crazy, man. All right. Well, we'll go to my story next. The reason why... I was so excited about it is it's because it's something that you never think is going to happen. And that's one of the things I think that takes most people Mm. by surprise is it's not supposed Mm. to happen that when things happen, it's not supposed to break. It's not Mm -hmm. supposed to sink, you know, just like back to the Titanic, the unsinkable ship. Right. So, I mean, who thinks a cruise ship's going to go down, but this is all of the, little Mm -hmm. things that happened along the way and you think that they're insignificant at the time but they all Mm -hmm. add up to the biggest accident you know this story takes us to the costa concordia cruise ship and this was january 13th 2012 at 9 45 p.m in the evening so this story is really one of the most interesting survival stories to me. Now, we're going to focus on this story through the eyes of Benji Smith and his wife, Emily, who were passengers on the Concordia, and they were on their honeymoon. I don't know why I get so many stories <laughs> where people are on their honeymoon, but so here we go. Lesson learned. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> don't do anything on your honeymoon. Have a nice boring yeah exactly stay at home (laughs) so anyways this voyage was to take them off the italian coast and it carried about 4,234 passengers so at the time of its voyage the concordia was italy's largest cruise ship 
So this new couple, they were relaxing in their cabin when the ship began to tilt. So right then and there, you know, you're having the time of your life. You're on your honeymoon, this wonderful cruise ship, uh, just relaxing in your little cabin. Is this like normal tipping or is this like this feels off? Well, I think it is. This feels off tipping. It was a it was a big tilt. So what they didn't know and they would find out later is that the ship had deviated from its planned route and actually sailed closer. Now, I'm going to pronounce this possibly incorrectly, but it was the Isola de Jalio Island. So, again, here we go back to, you know, you're on a path and then something changes. So here's the change, right? They're off the normal path that they were supposed to go on. The captain, Centineo, had said that he knew the waters and he was navigating by sight. He had taken a similar sail past this route, but it was done in the daylight previously. So this guy, this captain is like, I know what I'm doing. So he's going off route, which that's the first of the trouble. Uh, the cruise ship struck a rock formation along the sea floor and tore a gash in the ship's port side that was about 160 feet long. So, oh, yeah, so he hid into, like, rock formations underneath uh, the ship that he didn't see, you know. So now normally the route passes about five miles offshore. Okay. But they found the original piece of the ship that had been torn open and it was only 900 feet off of shore. So versus five miles. Exactly. So the normal. <laughs> he's left. They're, they're left. They're less than a mile off the coast. Yes, and this is a gigantic cruise ship with over 4,000 people on board. He is supposed to be five miles from shore. So again, they found pieces, you know, of the wreckage. 900 feet off of shore, so not even a mile. So, a few minutes after the impact, the engine room warned the captain that the water had entered and submerged the generators and engines. Oh, no. Yes, so he's he's getting warnings. This captain is yeah. getting warnings like, this is going down, this is what happened. It's fine, I know what I'm doing. Right? So, uh, yeah, famous last words. Here we are, the engine room has been submerged the generators and engines there were conflicting reports whether the captain made an effort to maneuver the ship or if it drifted to its final resting place that night there were also there's a lot of conflicting stories to this as well there were also many conflicting stories even when researching the story when i was researching it so Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the crew on board 30 minutes before the abandoned ship order had told everyone that everything was under control and that they should return to their cabins. So the crew's been told, tell everybody everything's fine, return to their cabins, nothing's wrong. It took 25 minutes for the official announcement on the loudspeaker. Even at this point, they had said it was electrical problems, but everyone knew the boat didn't lean with an electrical problem. (laughs) <laughs> so now it is like you mentioned, you know, was this just like a little, this was like it, the entire cruise ship is leaning. So now back to, and then they're putting out wrong information as well. Exactly. So now back to Emily and Benji, 
So they grabbed their life jackets and proceeded to the fourth deck where they met with the chaos of screaming children and many scared and untrained crew members. So there was a lot of untrained crew members that were on board and just nobody's knowing what to do. When the crash had taken place at the beginning of the disaster, it didn't hit Benji that the boat would actually sink. Because who <laughs> thinks a cruise ship is going to sink? Yeah, and who's going to think a boat this large would sink, you know? So they actually weren't dressed for the occasion. They were dressed in like light jackets, thinking that they were just going to go back on the deck for like a drill or something like that. And mm -hmm. that they would be back in their little warm cabin to enjoy the rest of their voyage. Benji couldn't come to grips with what was happening. He said he felt the enormous ship moving beneath them as it was being sucked into the sea. So the ship at this mm. point was sinking fast. So the port authorities yeah. were not alerted of the collision until an hour after the impact. So by the time, oh, yeah. So by the time the order came to abandon the ship, it took an additional 45 minutes as the crew delayed lowering the lifeboat. There's many things that are adding up to this that are just not working out. This is sounding like criminal negligence. At You're this exactly point. right. So at this point, roughly 2,000 passengers were on deck waiting for over an hour for the lifeboat. It was said that okay. some passengers jumped into the water and just swam to shore. So it was chaos. Uh, people are fighting to get on lifeboats. Uh, many families were split up during the chaos. Mm -hmm. As the ship was sinking, the walls started to become floors. Benji and Emily worked with a handful of passengers by tying a rope with sheets mm -hmm. into knots that they used as a ladder to lower themselves down to the bottom. They were now at the lowest part of the hull that would normally be underwater. So this, this boat, like this part of the boat that they're on, they're sitting right. on, is supposed to be under the water, but it's, it's tipping so much that they're now using it as a floor. So right. it was there that they waited under the night sky to be rescued and waited for the ship to finally finish sinking. They can hear the boat beneath them with the cracks and the moans while they he held onto the rope uh, with one hand. They were holding onto the rope. They were holding mm -hmm. onto each other. As Benji explained, as an hour passed and then another, no mm -hmm. rescue boats came. What they didn't know was the crewmen mm -hmm. had spoken to the Coast Guard originally and the captain ordered them to say that there was a blackout on board and they didn't need assistance at the moment. You Right? I, 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 I can't say that because I, I don't want you to bleep it. Yes, exactly. But that's what <laughs> I thought too. You know, um, yeah, this pompous guy, you know, you're, you have over 4,000 lives you know, that are relying on you and, you know, you, you want to be right. so proud and not ask for help. Right. Now's the time. They, they trusted yeah. you and you put them in this exactly. situation. It's on it's you. Exactly. So to Benji and his wife, they were finally rescued by a lifeboat after hours. Now you think the nightmare is over because they've been rescued. Yep. Emily had said once they were ashore, they were treated like animals. Once the lifeboats had dropped off all of the passengers on the island, there was no direction from there. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. there was still no help arriving either. So, right. and there was no help for those that needed medical attention. 
So there were mm. people who actually needed medical attention. There was no help. Benji mm. and Emily had spent the night on the floor of an inn with the rest of the passengers. They finally got over to a hotel the next day with wired money from mm -hmm. their family and the travel agency that booked their cruise. So thank God that travel agency was able to help them and wire them some money along with the family to yeah. get money to them. They had went to the Italian police, which said that the carnival was an American company, so they couldn't do anything. And the U.S. Embassy told them that it wasn't their responsibility to help with stranded passengers. <laughs> uh, I don't know about that, but I guess. So at this point, everybody had failed them. The, all these yeah. institutions had failed them, even down to the news networks that reported their stories. The news media would edit their stories into sound bites and ignore the failures all around them. So even the news wasn't reporting the story correctly. So finally, the new couple had the CEO of their travel agency reach out to them and let them know that they booked a flight home for them. Mm -hmm. They had gone on to speak against this tragedy and the many institutional failures that just surrounded mm -hmm. this. Uh, so back to the captain. The captain, who had left the boat prematurely, was found guilty of manslaughter and sentenced to 16 years in prison. The Concordia's loss is a landmark moment in naval history and the largest passenger ship that ever wrecked. It represented the largest maritime evacuation in history uh, because of all the 4,000 people. Did anybody die from this? You are right to ask that question. After sinking, it resulted in 32 deaths. So, wow. yeah. So, again, right. um, the captain was sentenced to 16 years in prison and he was found guilty of manslaughter because of this. 16 years in prison for 32 deaths doesn't sound bad, and it should be. That's that's half a year per person who died under this captain's protection responsibility. That That's too light of a sentence. Right? I mean, you've got criminal negligence of, don't worry, I know what I'm doing. I drove down this freeway once before in broad daylight. It's the same thing at night. But now I'm in a giant 4,000-person uh, cruise boat I got this it's it's only the waters how much could they change yeah exactly uh, well there was a lot of a lot to this story there's a ton of information on this story um so yeah. you know I only put together a snippet because I mean we could go on for like an hour on mm -hmm. this story there was a lot of odd things that he did there was recordings of him fighting with the coast guard he yep. had abandoned the ship before all the passengers mm. were out of it. Right. Uh, he said, right. oh, I'm helping people come to shore. And the Coast Guard was fighting with them and said, no, go back to the ship. He was given explicit instructions, get back mm -hmm. on a boat, get back to the ship, mm -hmm. make sure everybody's off before you leave. And he right. did not right. do that. And, and there were right. recordings of that where it was a full-on fight back and forth, you yeah. know? Criminal negligence and abandoning your post. Yeah, exactly. And I think what had happened, too, 
is he was trying to show off for this island. He had done it once before. Uh, he claims yeah. it was for the, the cruise ship company to promote this yeah. cruise ship. He wanted to swing by close to the island, you know, toot his horn so that people can look at the cruise wow. ship. But I mean, five miles compared to 900 feet. That That's exactly why these restrictions and rules were put in place for everybody's safety. Yeah. Yeah. Stay five yeah. miles out. You're a gigantic ship. I'm sure they could see yeah. you. You know what yeah, I mean? He's... You're fine. <laughs> I mean, even the fact that he had done this before and that the Concordia was the largest ship implies that he had done it on a smaller ship. And so he was probably able to get closer on his previous ship. Yeah. And I don't, I'm not sure he factored that yeah, in. Yeah, exactly. But back to Emily and Benji, mm -hmm. you know, their honeymoon turned into a disaster. But um, mm -hmm. I'm glad that they were actually able to make it out okay. They have since, mm -hmm. you know, spoken out about this repeatedly. They still speak out Absolutely. about it to this day because they weren't treated right. And there was right. so many, right. like I said, there was so many failures tiny little failures along the way. Somebody should have rang the bell. I understand at a certain point, you know, you have a boss and there's like a level of mm -hmm. command, command authority. authority. But if something yeah. is is safety you know shouldn't some of the crew members really went almost over his head and and really called out the coast guard or something for help i think if i was put in that situation i would go over my authority's head when mm -hmm. it involves safety of human lives mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The, the thing that gets at me is that I feel like this type of story isn't unique. I feel like this has happened a number of times before. You know, you as a human being, like, if you're a crew mm -hmm. member and you have enough experience and you know something's mm -hmm. wrong and the boat is tilting mm -hmm. and you know what's going wrong and the, the engine people have told you this is submerged, you know you're going yeah. down. There's no way yeah. that you're not going down. I don't understand how... A submerged engine doesn't tell you you're going down. Mm -hmm. I think that at a certain point, he thought that maybe he could just stall it out, like sit still and uh, not submerge anymore and then maybe call in a tugboat because they did mention he thought that maybe they could call a tugboat. But if the ship's leaning, it's not going to fix itself. Yeah, I, but like, I want to I want to speak out, but I also have to acknowledge that I like no exactly nothing about um, exactly but kind common sense though if the boat is leaning some yeah. i don't know that that could be tugged out like by a tugboat you know like right. <laughs> it could be righted you know <laughs> yeah oh that'll yeah, just buff exactly. out <laughs> that's what i'm saying like i don't know i don't know man I, yeah you're right though i don't know Jeez. enough about uh t or boats or ships in general four thousand people 16 deaths. no 32 Criminal 32 oh sorry 32 deaths 16 years served for 32 deaths that's half a year per person that is that's not I know. enough right yeah that's what i thought too yes. but because of this benji and emily have definitely tried to make it known out there of, about what happened so that it doesn't happen again mm -hmm. so like you said unfortunately there might be stories out there that have happened again oh. but if we could shed some sort of light on this we talked about this long ago on some of the first episodes that in a sense you do put some control 
into mm-hmm. and trust on planes, you know, mm-hmm. and you put trust into the pilot. And then here, you know, you're putting trust into the captain. You know, you're trying to put trust into him, but... I, I think I know what you're getting at. And, and something that I want to point out as well was that they reached out to their travel agency because, to, to, you know, they, they recognized that they booked this cruise through the travel agency. So that, in their mind, became the next person to reach out because this cruise ship captain is, is doing nothing to save us. Uh, a, a, apparently, someone or uh, someone reached out to the embassy and the embassy said, nope, you know, once you survive, is you become our responsibility. But the fact that you came from a cruise ship. Yeah, that always bothers me is a lot of these mm-hmm. tragedies happen and it, nobody wants to take mm-hmm. it on in a sense. They don't want to help because then at that point, they mm-hmm. think that they will be held responsible somehow. Right. Like, come on, the U.S. Embassy is not going to help. Yeah. Did they really think that they were going to be held responsible? But I feel like there's so much red tape. So that was my story for that's, today. That's incredible. Costa Concordia. <laughs> yeah. So everybody could always follow us on our social media. I'll find images, of course, of the Concordia. There were okay. just great images out there of just like the vastness of what happened. So I'll post those up. I'll also try to find the video that you were talking I'll about. <laughs> I'll, I'll find uh, it. Yeah, exactly. I'll post that up on social media just so we could see the video, like the incredible moment that he got saved. Mm-hmm. That'll be awesome. So, um, yeah, that's our story. So you could always follow us on our Instagram, any kind of social media, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, we have our Twitter. So you could always just look up. They actually survived. Uh, you could always send us your survival stories. I got some in the works right now that I'm going to be coming out with soon. So I want to do an episode especially for all of you guys out there that are sharing your survival stories with me. So that'll be really interesting just to hear all of those. But you can always send them to info at theyactuallysurvive.com. We'd love to cover it. If you want, you have the choice to remain anonymous. You know, you just you give us the details on how you want us to cover your story, and we'll we'll, we'll do our best to respect anonymous. Yeah, exactly. Um, most of my stories, I I tend to concentrate mostly on first name. Even mm-hmm. ours, we don't have our last name on anything. We That's yeah, true. we're first name people, so <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to name you in the story. That's perfectly fine. But you know, hoping to share a lot of people's stories soon. So I'd love to put together an episode on that. So mm-hmm. that's all I got. You good? That's pretty much it. Thank you guys for listening. And remember that you too can actually survive. Take care. Thanks, guys.